0: Thank you, friend. Hi, y'all. I'm glad you're going to be here. We all get to be together. I know it's tough when you have a guest speaker, especially one that's old enough to be your granddad. But it's nice every once in a while to uh, open your heart to maybe somebody that has some gray hair. And hopefully uh, we'll have something to share with you that will make a difference. I want to talk to you about two very important things in your life, relationships and grace. In fact, your relationships are absolutely the most important thing to you, even though you may not process it in your mind that way. And and as you go through life, what's going to determine your level of joy is how well you're doing with the people up close to you more than anything else, more than your vocation or your success in that. And so we want to get in. But, but grace comes into play, too. And we're going to be using the scripture tonight. So if any of you want a Bible here to look at, just raise your hand and I'll, I'll drop one off to you. Yeah, just raise your hand. So. so, But I want to talk about grace, because normally you would think, well, if we're going to talk about relationships, let's talk about love, too. No, no, I'm not going to do that, because I think it's fairly much assumed. That love is in our relationships, even though it might be a very flawed love or a very incomplete love or corrupted love or whatever. It's there. And we all have this capacity to love because we're made in God's image and God is love. And so we have this capacity, even though it has been messed up from our sin nature, we still have that. But human love has a bit of a quid pro quo feel to it. In other words, we tend to love people that love us back. And the more they love us back, the more we're inclined to love them, and things go well. But when stresses come on, that we, we there, there's, a, there's kind of a, a, an ongoing um, ledger we're running, and and many times that love struggles. And 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 yet I think the missing ingredient in relationships it's it's not it's not love, it's never been love. It's grace. That's what's missing in relationships. And when I'm talking about grace, I'm not talking about That just being nice to people. Grace and nice are not synonyms. Grace can be nice, but they're not synonyms. Nice is a human trait. What I'm talking about, I'm talking about a grace that comes from the heart of Jesus. A a grace that you only get to embody when you put your faith in him and then you get out of the driver's seat and let him run your life. Because Jesus is Grace personified, and He deals with us in grace. And the more we let Him own our life, the more that grace will come out. And we need grace because life is complicated. It gets the best of us fast. In fact, there's something that I think really illustrates it. I saw this. Uh, I've seen it on a variety show. I've seen it on uh, at a circus. Some clowns. It. Have you ever seen a person that takes place and puts them on a stick and spins them? And, all, and tries to see how many they can do. It's, it's a stunt. Well, I can't do it. Uh, it's fun to do with somebody else's dishes, but I, 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 but I didn't bring the sticks with me. I couldn't do the trick if I wanted to. But, but the idea is that they, they take and they, they put a plate on it and they spin it, and then they keep adding plates. And of course, the more, the more they add, the first start to toddle around, and they're racing around trying to get these things going smoothly. And I think that's what life is like with us right now, especially you young people. I look at you and... Excuse me, I have a little... Um, I have a little costume malfunction. There you go. Um, I mean, you're starting out. I see a lot of students here. So you're young. Maybe you're finishing up a degree program. or you're starting your career. And you have your friends. You have church. Uh, you may have fallen in love. Maybe you just got married. And so you have all these things going. And, and life gets tough. But, but, it's not, but we start to figure it out because there's an app for this. See, we can figure out how to get these things going straight. And, and then we finally get married, and then some of these come along. <laughs> and and these require a lot more velocity to keep them going smoothly. And they also come up with their own set of plates that they want you to help them spin. And so now life is really complicated and, and you're tired all the time, but you think, okay, getting a rhythm down. I think I've got this figured out. Then one of these comes along. This is a teenager not a saucer anymore. It's not a plate yet. It just thinks it is. Wants all the privileges of a plate, but doesn't have any money and sure has a mind of its own when you try and put some spin on it. Well, well, somewhere along the line, these things get the best of us. And no matter how much love we're bringing to the equation, it's going to struggle. And that's why we need grace. And yet when I talk about grace, it's not uncommon for people to start getting a little concerned about it because they think, wait a minute, grace, where's the truth in this whole thing? What about truth? Truth is not, it's right where it's always been. And yet we can be people of the truth and, and not necessarily be using active grace on each other. And, and, and it really undermines the truth. Let me use our setting right here as an example. Since you came here to the church tonight, would you say that this church has presented itself very well to you? Yeah, this is a handsome church and it presents itself well, nice and clean. And then when they started for the worship experience, the worship, obviously, I think these people put a lot of forethought into it. And and a lot of those songs are based on scriptures. And so would you say the truth element that they've used up to this point has been right on right in the orthodox range and just right? Now, I haven't opened the scripture yet, but you would assume that they wouldn't even let me near this pulpit unless I've already been field tested and vetted that I can handle the truth. Right. Right. So, would you say so far we've got the truth thing right so far? Yeah, okay. But what if it was 25 degrees in this room right now, and you're dressed just like you are? See, it wouldn't matter how well we're getting the truth thing right. You wouldn't be able to appreciate it because you're so cold. And that's what happens when we don't put God's grace center stage in our life. But the problem is I think we have a bad habit of limiting God's grace to salvation. That I was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, now I see. And we limit it to salvation. We don't realize that God said, wait a minute, this grace I saved you with, I meant now to wash through you and completely redefine you and temper all the relationships from here on out. I meant, God, I meant my grace to be your defining feature of your relationships. And so when we miss that, then it, it puts a lot of wear and tear. And, and things can get, go south fast. Well, Darcy and I, my wife, uh, I met her in high school. I was so smitten by her. She was so pretty and so smart and so so sharp. It took me five years, five years to convince her of all the untapped potential that was in me. I said, just mind this stuff here. there's mother loads down there. It took me a while. Uh, but finally, she married me. Darcy, by the way, stand up. Say hi to everybody. This is Darcy. Yeah, we got married 43 years ago. And then we have four kids. We have four kids. And, and and they are all married now. And some of them have grandchildren. So we have six grandchildren. But when we started out, it just seemed like the other day, when we started out, and there was just two of us in a wedding photo. But now when the family gets together, there are 16 in that picture. And I want to tell you, especially young people, on uh, the front side of your journey, you're going to get, you don't see it now, but you're going to get to a point where there's 16 or 18 or 20 people that make up your family photo. And if you don't have grace in place, that's going to determine whether the smiles on that Christmas photo are Photoshopped on or genuine. And, and God wants them to be genuine. And so in our journey, when we started having kids, we thought, well, let's figure out, you know, let's not mess this up. We'd never done this before. And And, 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 and yet... When we started reading the books, we saw the books on Christian, Chris, Christian parenting all seemed to come either from the fear-based family of books, the fear-based parenting, or the, performance, the spiritual performance-based. We don't want anything to do with either one of those. Those are dead-on-arrival plans. But Darcy is the brains of the operation, and she made an observation. She said, you know, God's a parent in the Bible. He's parenting us. It's the number one metaphor of God in the Bible. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven been, we're his kids. I wonder if we can study him and his role as a parent in the Bible, and see if we can maybe get some see some some patterns in there or get some handles from that. And and, and sure enough, as soon as we did that, we found out that his plan for parenting was sitting right on the surface all along, it wasn't hidden at all. And and uh, and by the way, we didn't limit our study to the handful of passages in the Bible about parenting or about marriage because. The whole Bible, this grand narrative from Genesis to Revelation, is an interaction between God and the people, his children, right? So the whole Bible now becomes our thing to look at. And and as well as when you look at the church, it's Jesus' bride. So you want to learn about parenting. How does Jesus treat the church? And so we we started working and, and we distilled it down and we found that there were some clear handles on it. And we got to where we could actually draw it out on a napkin. I want to show you what that would look like. Look up here. We draw a little house, and and, and we can actually break God's grace down into four kind of levels, and and we can define it all in one sentence at the top. All grace-based parenting is, for instance, is I want to treat my kids the same way God treats me. One sentence summarizes it all. Treat your kids the way God treats you. What's a grace-based marriage like? Treat your spouse the way God treats his spouse. And then it has four levels to it, starting at the bottom. God's in his grace. He's always meeting our, our deep inner needs. He's, he's, he's always setting our hearts free. He's always building the character muscles that we need. And he's aiming at the root there. He's always aiming at something bigger and better than here, now, and ourselves. If you flip it over, you can break that down into its pieces there. And, and the three inner needs and so forth. And, and, and we don't have time to do that here. But they're going to they're gonna be having a class following this in the next few weeks on parenting. And where they're going to really get into this in depth. But I want to take that second level. And we're going we're to unpack that in the next few minutes. To set the stage for that, though, I want to show you a, a, a story in the Bible about a family who really needed grace in a situation. They were clearly a grace-based home because the Bible says so. And when you see how it plays out under stress, you'll see that I'm talking about something very different than just a loving home. I want you to turn in your Bibles To Luke 2, or we'll put it up here on the screen for you. Now, when I say Luke 2, that should ring a bell with you because there's a very famous story in Luke 2. That's a Christmas story, right? So you say, oh, we're going to look at Mary and Joseph and Jesus in Bethlehem. No, uh, that's a great story, but that's not the one we're going to look at. There's another story about Jesus. And his childhood, uh, an incident that happened when he was 12 years old. It doesn't get a lot of air time from the pulpit, but we want to look at it here tonight. And I want to pick this up from verse 39, Luke chapter 2, verse 39. Verse 39 and 40 are hinge verses, and what Luke does is he comes out of the Christmas story, makes his transition into this story about him being 12 years old. Watch this. When they... Mary and Joseph had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. They returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth and the child grew. He became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. Now favor is another word the translators use for the word, the Greek word charis, which is the word grace. So basically he just said the grace of God was on this kid and and it was on this kid through this family that he was in. Now watch this. Now let's see how God's grace shows up in a rough situation. Verse 41. Now, now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. When the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. Let's hit the pause button for a second. If this was the first time you ever were exposed to this story... You might be thinking or wondering, what was the Heavenly Father thinking when he assigned the earthly care of his only begotten son to these two people? That they would actually take off and leave him behind and and be completely unaware of it. Now, I can completely understand taking off and leaving your kids behind and being totally aware of it. We've thought of doing that many times in situations. But this looks like child neglect at first glance until you read on. And he realized nothing unusual was going on because it says, look, verse 44, but supposing him to be in the group, their entourage that they were traveling with, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. So they're, they're moving in this large group of family and friends. So everybody knows everyone. And, you know, the rule that when, when you're in a large family gathering, the ad, if you're an adult, you're, you're responsible for whatever kid's nearby. That's how it works. And, and so they weren't worried about that. Plus, this isn't a little kid. He's 12 years old. You let 12-year-old kids over the horizon. On top of that, this is the most responsible, reliable 12-year-old two parents ever had. So they weren't worried that he wasn't around until dinner time came that first night when he didn't show up. because We got a problem because this is a boy. He's 12, and it's dinner. They show up to top their tanks. So look at this. When they did not find him, verse, 40, verse 45, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And then when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? And so forth. No, 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 no. Once again, let's let's put ourselves just... Let me pause it again. Let's put ourselves in their sandals for a second. It's been three days. They have lost this kid in a large city. They've gone back. They have been turning Jerusalem upside down looking for this kid. They went to all the places they thought he might be, all the places they hoped he wasn't, but they had to check, like whatever the equivalent was of the juvenile lockup or uh, the ER or something like that. They can't find him. It's night. It's night. They're in their little motel, trying to get some sleep to pick up the hunt. Poor Mary can't sleep because she's lying in bed thinking, "I've misplaced God. <laughs> Boy, am I going to be in trouble for this one?" <laughs> and then when they find him, not only do they re- realize that not only do they realize he's okay, but they also realize he's been okay the entire three days that they haven't been okay. Okay, so this this causes two huge emotions to be fighting for first position. What's the one emotion? Relief. Obviously, he's fine. What's the other emotion? Anger. Anger. They're just like any of us would be. They just want to take him and shake him. And you can do that because he's 12. His head's on good by then. You see, shake him. There's not 12-year-old shake syndrome or whatever. And so, so, so Mary speaks for the two of them. And she says, son, why have you treated us so? Your father and I have been searching for you in great distress, Jesus speaks up. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my Father's house? Now, how are they supposed to know that? Well, there's one little thing that happened that might be a tip off, and I'm doing a little detective work here. And I might be wrong in my observation, but there's one thing that happened that might have told them to go up in the temple mount. He's up there, and that is. Angels appeared to both of them before he was even conceived in her womb. Remember? Gabriel appears to say, hey, you're going to have a son. It's supernatural. He's God's son. He's got an agenda. Work with him. <laughs> and so it's kind of like saying, Mom, Dad, buy a vow. I mean, this is not that tough. We sent you angels. Look what the next verse says. Verse 50. They did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. They didn't get it. Okay, so what happened? Verse 51. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Verse 51 is a great example of a grace-based family in action. You, know, you say, how so? Well, look what happened. After all this stress and back and forth... It says, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. He cooperated. He did what they wanted him to do. And then in the next verse, says, next sentence says, and Mary treasured all these things in her heart. Well, last time I checked, you treasure something you value, right? Except this incident. Why would you value this? Because the, the three verses before this, she was yelling at him. And the verse before this didn't understand what, what the heck was going on. The reason, the, the reason they, she valued this is because she was looking through a different lens at this. She was looking through the lens of God's grace at this. And she realized that there was something amazing going on here. And in spite of the fact they didn't go the way she wanted, it was very stressful for her and Joseph. Still, they were looking at each other with incredible uh, uh, high degrees of honor. You can also see um, uh, uh, grace by what didn't happen. Because Joseph could have spoken up about now and said... Jesus, you are so grounded. It's unstinking believable. Don't plan on a personal life for a long time. I'm so mad at you. Jesus could have pulled some fairly significant divine art- artillery out about, uh, right now too. He could have said, excuse me, but I think you've forgotten who you're dealing with here. How about I refresh your memory? You know, it was me that came up with that original line, let there be light. I made you. I made mean, the ground you're standing on. I made mean, the air you're breathing. I made mean, the gravity that's holding you down. I can write out your DNA code. You don't even know what I'm talking about. You're not going to tell me what I can or can't do. He actually had the authority to say that. He didn't exercise it because he was dealing with his parents in grace. We need grace in our home. What would that look like? Let's take that second level of that. Of that napkin, and I want to unpack those four wonderful freedoms that people that care for somebody give them when they're dealing with them with God's heart of grace. And and although I'm going to illustrate them in parent-child ways, please know that these are wonderful freedoms you can give your friends, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, your grandkids. Let's learn these together. The first freedom that grace-based families give the people they love is the freedom to be different. The freedom to be different. That seems kind of safe there, but let me give you some synonyms so you know what I'm talking about. Like weird. You give them the freedom to be weird. Or, or goofy. Or, or uh, quirky. Or bizarre. Or strange. Grace-based homes not only have room for those kind of kids, they celebrate them. Fear-based homes have no room for them. Spiritual performance homes do not have room for a weird, bizarre, strange, goofy, quirky kid. No way. And one of the reasons why is because weird, bizarre, strange, goofy, quirky people annoy us. You say, stop that. Why? Well, you annoy me. They're not doing anything wrong. When I'm saying they're they're, they're different, they're weird, bizarre, strange, I'm not saying they're doing anything morally wrong or biblically wrong. They're just different. And so many times we get asked them because they annoy us or they embarrass us. Stop that. It's very embarrassing. Even though they're not doing anything wrong. For instance, you have a little boy? Send him out in the backyard to play. What'll he do? He'll do a headbutt right into a tree. Boom! Hit that thing with his head. What are you nuts? And he'll do that because he's a little and then he goes over and, and runs his head into the garage door. why do you do that? He's a little boy. They're weird. You have a little girl? She might be out in the backyard alone, but she's not by herself. Never. She has imaginary friends. She's talking to them. And they have names. They're not things. They're people. She names them. And she's always playing with her friends. You give her a pile of rocks, she'll make a family out of them. Take the to be with this. Is, this is a dad. His name's Bud. And here's Mom. She's Myrtle. And here are the kids. You know, or you give her a bunch of Barbie dolls, she'll play The View. Here they're getting in a little semicircle. They'll argue with each other. But if she has a brother, and he comes in, and she's playing with the Barbie dolls, he'll pick that thing up, bite the head off, and throw it like a grenade. They're weird. Little kids are strange. And then they become teenagers. And they'll do all kinds of weird things or the way they dress or the stuff of their hair. And it's not uncommon for parents to come in and turn it into a moral issue when it's not. Like, I don't think Jesus would be very pleased with your hair. I've read the Bible cover to cover, and I know what God says about hair. He doesn't care your hair. Express yourself. Use it as a lab experiment. Whatever. Now, can parents make arbitrary rules about the kid's hair? Of course you can. You're the parent. Of course you can. Just don't make it a moral issue. It's not one. Don't make it a biblical issue. It's not one. You can be arbitrary about it if you want. And you say, but Tim, Tim, don't you think sometimes what's going on in the outside reflects a problem on the inside? Sometimes. But but but, but if, if the way a person's dressed is showing that there's an implosion on the inside, why would I ever go after the outside? The outside's a symptom. The problem's the heart. Deal with the heart. Fix the heart. And the outside will fix itself. If there's nothing wrong with the heart, don't worry about the outside. An example came to us. Our, we have a son named Colt. Actually, Colt used to come here to this church. before He, got, he married Megan and moved. Colt Kimmel. Maybe some of you know Colt. Um, when he was in junior high he asked me at the beginning of his junior high uh, year he said dad can i grow my hair real long i said man give it your best shot you're gonna have to grow it a long time before it's as long as mine was when i was in junior high because i was a 60s kid and he grew his hair real long and it was just it really was he was a handsome boy in the springtime, I was in—I had spoken in a church in Miami, Florida. I was in a taxi on my way to the airport to come back to Phoenix when my phone went off. And it was cold. Dad, it's spring break. I know. We're going to have a lot of fun. Dad, I was wondering, can I have a mohawk? Can I have a mohawk, Dad? I thought about that. You know what? That would be fun. That would be a lot of fun. I'll tell you what. I'll be home about 7 o'clock tonight. I'll cut a great mohawk. You can have it all week, but on Saturday we're going to have to buzz it off because your school doesn't allow Mohawks. We both hung up said goodbye, hung up. You got to know something. I was calculating in something. I was calculating in church. We go to Scottsdale Bible Church. And at that time, Scottsdale Bible Church had morning services, and then they had identical services in the evening, but they had all the youth and children stuff in the evening th- to draw the families, the parents, down to the evening so there's room for all the guests in the morning. And so he was going to be at church at 4.30, and there maybe twelve, fifteen hundred 1,500 people there on, in the evenings, and, and he was going to be there. I figured, fine, I'll be home at 7, church is over, because next Saturday we'll cut it off. He hung up the phone and our, our daughter Shiloh was listening. What did dad say? He said, I can have one. He's going to cut it for me when he gets home. She said, I know how to cut one of those. <laughs> they got out the scissors and and all the paraphernalia. And they she cut him. Remember, he'd grown his hair real long. She cut him a mohawk. They took Elmer's glue and glued that sucker up. <laughs> and he went to church. And I'm sure he sucked the oxygen out of some of the people's... And and the older women were going through their purse trying to take every medication they could find. And people (laughs) were wondering, what happened to all of our security here? (laughs) It was crazy. And and I'm sure some people looked at... Isn't that the son of the guy that writes the books on parenting? (laughs) But, But regardless... In the middle, in between the two services, the, uh, all the people kind of congregate out in this big atrium area. And our, at the, our senior pastor at the time was a guy named Daryl. And he was out there talking to some people. And he looked across and he saw Colt. It was very obvious. He looked over and he said, Colt Kimmel, is that you? Get over here. And he came over to me and he said, that's the greatest mohawk I've ever seen. How in the world do you get it to st- That's fabulous. How do you get it to stay up like that? glue. And anyone he went on he said, man, that's it's incredible. I wish I had a camera take a picture of me and Cole Kimmel with his mohawk. It's the greatest mohawk I've ever seen. You all need to know something. We took our kids to a grace-based church. It was very important to us that we went to a grace-based church. We wanted to take our kids to the church where the people running it know what matters and what doesn't matter. The Bible says man looks on the outside, God looks on the heart. This kid had a great heart. He loved the Lord. He loved his mom and dad. He loved his siblings. He worked hard in school. He was a good friend. He just wanted to have a mohawk. Grace came to the rescue on that. It helps us bring the best out of each other and, 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 and not make uh, uh, non-essential points of conflict when they don't need to be there or make non-moral issues moral or biblical issues. Look what the the scripture has to say about this, in in, in uh, Romans chapter fifteen, let me find this for you. I love this passage. Look what he says here in verse five. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant that you live, grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice. Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I said grace-based relationships are simply treating the people you love the way Christ treats you. And he says, then, basically saying the same thing. Treat each other the way I treat you. And then, and then you go over to Psalm 139, uh, verse 14. It says, I will give praise to you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And sometimes that fearfully part is the people watching you in action because they see your quirkiness and it scares them. But you, if we show grace, we can get people through it. God's grace gives the people, grace-based people, parents give the people they love the freedom to be different. Let's look at a second one. And grace-based families give the people they love the freedom to be vulnerable. To be vulnerable. Meaning that, that they don't have to wear masks around the people up close to them. They can verbalize their doubts and their fears. Their inadequacies or the fragile side of them can come to the surface without fear of them being attacked. I was going into the ninth grade of a big high school back in Annapolis, Maryland. I was very excited about going to school because it, the, the, the girls were prettier, the rock and roll was louder, there was more of both, and I was going to play football for their famous football coach. But in between my eighth and ninth year, that summer... In between those two years, several hundred of us incoming freshmen got letters in the mail from the Board of Education saying that because of overcrowded conditions, we were being annexed to an elementary school in downtown Annapolis. And so instead of going to the big high school, I'm back in elementary school. There are a lot of trade-offs. And probably the biggest one was in the area of phys ed. Because normally for phys ed, you would put on the phys ed outfit. You go out and play whatever they want you to play. And it's very humid there, so you might sweat a lot. No problem. You go take a shower, put on your school clothes. We didn't have that option. We had to do everything in our school clothes. There was a gymnasium on the second floor of a building a couple blocks from the elementary school. And I went in there one morning, one winter morning, for phys ed. But as soon as I got in there, I got very excited because there was a trampoline open in the middle of the gym. I got very excited because I'd never jumped on one before. They weren't pieces of equipment in backyards back then. The uh, PE coach came out. We all kind of gathered around. And he looked around at all of us guys. He came back to me. He said, Kimmel, take off your shoes. Leave on your socks. Climb up here. Follow my instructions. So I pulled my shoes off and climbed up. But as I did, I realized I had holes in both of my socks. Not one. Both. And one of my friends thought everybody should notice this. He said, oh, look at Tim's toes ticket. Isn't this sad? We need to take up a collection, buy Tim some real socks. It was kind of putting me down and, and putting down our family's economics, which, by the way, we were lower middle class, meaning we paid our bills in time. We didn't miss a meal. We went on the mantra, get as much mileage out of your clothing as you can. But and up to that point, I thought that was a good idea until I was up there and I was jumping and I was doing exactly what he was telling me to do. But all I could think about is my toes sticking out. And this is just a very embarrassing moment for me. Now, if it happened to me now, I could care less what people think about how I look or dress. But when you're in that corridor of time, that 14, 15, 16, 17, that's a time when kids are unusually self-conscious, isn't it? And so I was very humiliated by all this. Well, I finished my turn. I stood down. The other guys are jumping. All I'm thinking about, I'm going to go home, get out my sock drawer. I'm going to find every hole. inside, I'm going to darn every pair. So I will never let this happen to me again. Finally, the bell rang. Coach dismissed us all. He took off. I went and put on my shoes. I went down. There was a stage at the end of the, uh, of the thing. And I, I went and got my coat on, got my books. I went out the side door and got down the bottom of the stairs I hear my name, Kimmel, wait up. It was the PE coach. And he came down and he pulled me aside and said, Tim, I want to tell you why I called on you to do the demonstration. Tim, you're the most agile student in my class. And then he pulled off his, he reached out and he pulled off his tennis shoe and he had a big old hole in his sock. He says, you know, us agile guys are tough on socks, man. <laughs> now go to class. So I'm, walking over to class, and the whole way I'm thinking, what's Agile? Because I had no idea what that was. I'd never heard it before. I I showed you what a pathetic student I was, but I was one of English class. And they had big dictionaries there, and they actually loved it. When you looked up a word without a gun held to your head. And I went over, and I looked up Agile. And I read for the first time in my life that I could move with speed, ease, elegance, and liveliness. And I read for the first time in my life that I was mentally alert and quick-witted. No one had ever told me that before. I wrote it down. I memorized it. And I did a 180-degree turn in two major areas of my life, academics and athletics. In fact, a couple of weeks later, they had this challenge. Who can do the most sit-ups in the ninth grade? Now, they weren't these crunch things you do now. You can do millions of them. These are these things that are no longer, they're against the law In in the United States schools, it's where you had to lay flat. They hadn't figured out to bend your knees to take pressure off a little bit. Hadn't figured that out. You had to have your legs flat. Somebody hold your feet down, which by the way hurt like mad. And you had to come all the way up, cross over, and touch the opposite knee for it to count. I set the record that year. The only reason I kept going is I wanted to win. And this guy wouldn't next to me wouldn't stop. And, 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 and not only did we, did we sit through, we did a lot of those sit-ups, but I, we sat up through all the phys ed class. We kept sitting up through English class, and we sat up all the way through lunch. They were sending out runners. They're up to 531, whatever. And my stomach muscles hurt for days after that. But I didn't care because I was agile. <laughs> You know, it took me a while to put the pieces together to figure out why the coach disappeared so quickly after class. He had to race to his little office he had just off the gym, get his shoe off, get the scissors out, cut the hole in his sock, put his shoe back on, and chase me down. Because I figured, he doesn't go around with holes in his socks. He's a PE teacher. They give you shoes and socks as part of the deal. But he saw a vulnerable kid that needed help. And he touched his life with grace. Now listen, our children have these kind of moments all the time. Someone's described childhood as a 24-hour day, day 7-day week, 365-day-a-year battle to keep from being embarrassed. And we need to have people watching them that don't bring uh, ridicule or mocking or marginalization or dismissal or whatever, but bring grace to it what the scripture says in this you know paul had a thorn in the flesh i don't know it's a mental disorder or a physical thing or whatever it was very distracting to him and he went to god several times and asked god to take it away and each time god said no and then and then but god said this to him my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness paul says therefore i will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that christ's power may rest in me and and God wants to have an environment, an atmosphere of grace in our relationships, so that we can help people through those very difficult, fragile things in their life. I love this in Colossians four six. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Grace based families allow children freedom to be different and vulnerable. Thirdly, they give them the freedom to be candid. To be candid. Notice I didn't say honest. Because, see, bare-naked honesty can be cruel. A good example of bare-naked honesty, a, a show that absolutely depends on you saying exactly what you feel and think, is the Jerry Springer show. These are very honest people saying exactly what... And in, in in, in yet, it, it, the, they have no regard for the damage it does the person receiving it. Candor is honesty with the best interest of the person receiving it in mind. And we want to have homes where there's candor. Because... Uh, we, we need to give people we love a, a respectful outlet for telling us what's on their heart, even if it's something we don't want to hear. Maybe a teenager goes through a period where they say, look, mom and dad, I'm sorry. I appreciate what you say, but uh, I, I'm just having a hard time believing that Jesus is the only way to heaven, mm. the only way to God. I, I'm having a hard time believing the Bible is the only true source of truth. You know, uh, I, I'm just having a hard This is not a time to panic. And hire some, theologi- some theological professor from Phoenix Seminary and duct tape them to your kid's face. Uh, and, and no, smarter kids than yours and mine have, have ran through doubts. This is the time to remain calm while your kid's faith is on trial. They need to see people that trust God and are steady through that and help them through this. But sometimes the things they need to say are things that are frustrated with us about. Because listen, you young people, a lot of you aren't married yet, but when you become parents, here's something I can guarantee you. You will make mistakes. And don't even try to be a perfect parent. You can't be a perfect parent. Your kids don't need perfect parents. They just need grace-based, imperfect parents. And we had to give our kids an outlet for that. And we started, when they were young, we, we started this little thing called, what's your beef night? And they'd come to dinner and they could order anything they want. And then they could say anything that Darcy and I had done that ticked them off or bothered them or frustrated them or embarrassed them. And here's the thing there's only one thing we were allowed to do, and that's ask for forgiveness. We couldn't explain it away or put it in context or whatever. They said, This game's fixed. There's no way. No, it's just, we just say, I'm so sorry. Now, obviously, they couldn't say things like, I'm really mad at you because you make me go to school or something. No, they knew, yeah, we all go to school, we all brush our teeth, we all eat our vegetables, all that. It's just things that we may have done where we really blew it. And we wanted them to know that they have an outlet with us. Where did we get this from? Because God gives us one. Look at this. in Hebrews chapter 4. The writer of the Hebrews is saying, we don't have a high priest that doesn't understand what it's like to be in our skin, but it was always tempted like us, yet without sin. So look, he says in verse 16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, God knows that, that we get frustrated even with him. I, I got frustrated with God. I've been frustrated with it a couple of times. I remember one time I was really just upset with it because my, my mom died it, Uh, a lot younger than I had thought was going to happen. And I knew God could have intervened and made her well. And I was frustrated with him. He says, come to me, come to my throne of grace. I have a big chest. Now, I'm not going to explain to you what was going on. You may never understand in this side of heaven, but I want you to know that you can pour that out on me and, 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 uh, and it won't affect my love for you. And in the process, I learned to trust God more. And I wanted our kids to know that even though the difference between us and God, God doesn't make mistakes as a parent. We do. They had this outlet. Our son, Cody, was in high school. And it was springtime, and he had finished his homework, and he was going to bed. And he said, and he said oh, Dad, Dad, I forgot to mention. I need you to sign me out at 12. From, I need you to sign me out of school tomorrow, 12 tomorrow. Why, what's up? He said, well, it's opening day at the Diamondbacks. And my friend Steve's got tickets right behind the dugout. He invited me to go. Now the year before the Diamondbacks had beaten the Yankees in a World Series, it's a big opening game. But for some stupid reason I felt like I should use this as an opportunity to teach my son about personal responsibility. Hey, Cody, you're a student. You go to school at eight, you get out at three. You just can't take off just so. But dad, they're going to have F sixteen flying over at the beginning. Well, that's nice, but but you know, it's like you have a job. We all have jobs, and there's all these kind of fun things, but we can't necessarily take off work just because something fun. To, but dad, I think Randy Johnson's going to be in the mound. I went back to my little lecture on personal responsibility, and he, you know, he said, "Dad, I think Alice Cooper's going to be singing the national anthem." You know, and and, and you can just see the poor kid getting so exasperated with this. And finally. He got quiet, and he looked at me and said, Dad, listen, I bring you home straight A's. All I've ever brought you home are straight A's. I can't bring you home any better grades than I'm bringing you. Now, you need to decide whether I can go to that game. And it was like a gigantic hand came right arm, hand, and came right down out of heaven, out of clouds, and did one of these right in the top of my head. <coughs> what is your problem? Sign that boy out. What is this stupid lecture you're giving him? Sign that boy out. And what's really ironic is those straight A's didn't come from my side of the gene pool. (laughs) Those came from his mother's. I struggled in school. I believed you should have vowels and consonants on a report card. See, Dad? I think it's one of those find-a-word games. I think three. How many? Could you sign the bottom? I mean, you know, it's just stupid I was lecturing him on this. I reached in my pocket. I took out two large bills, and I handed them to him. I said, Cody... Make sure you buy the big drinks and the big hot dogs for you and Stephen. And Cody, please forgive me for being such an idiot. I'm so sorry. You know, as you get older, the memories of childhood start to fade. They just do. Some people get up there in their years and it's just just almost a murky little blur can't remember things. And this memory may be one of those ones that fades out of his his mind. But if I'd have held my ground and refused to sign him out, he'd have never forgotten to the day he died. What a moron he had for a father. Listen, we get it wrong sometimes. We've got to give them an outlet. Now they've got to respond to us. They've got to speak to us respectfully. And he was very respectful. And listen, you raise the odds that your kids will speak respectfully to you when they're frustrated with you if you speak respectfully to them when you're frustrated with them. Just like God speaks respectfully to us when he's correcting us. Look at the word of God here one more time. Hebrews twelve fifteen. See to it that no one misses the, uh, the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Grace-based homes give the people they love the freedom to be different. Freedom to be vulnerable, freedom to be candid. And lastly, they give the people they love the freedom to make mistakes, to make mistakes. Now, I'm not saying they're encouraging mistakes. I'm not saying there aren't consequences for mistakes. Because uh, because look what the Bible says there in Hebrews chapter 12, 5 and 6. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens so Discipline and correction are a form of grace. They're saying, I love you too much for you to go and grow up to be a fool or self-destruct. I'm going to intervene. I'm going to stand on your air hose. I'm going to correct you. But at no time is the relationship in jeopardy. At no time. And, and look at Romans 5 eight. God demonstrates his own love towards us for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His grace was being activated while we we're in the midst of our sin. And and God wants us to have that kind of grace in our relationships, in our friendships, our boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, our marriage, and and especially with our relationship with our kids. Well, I've got to close this thing down. Let me just close off with this one last point, and that is the window of opportunity to touch our kids' lives with grace is not open forever. It's actually open only a brief period of time, and that's why we got to seize that opportunity. And I was reminded of this. One Saturday morning before dawn, when I was deep asleep, and our daughter Shiloh, she was about five years old at the time, came in and shook me awake. "Dad, Dad, wake up! It's time to go out on our date." I'd promised her the night before I'd take her out on a breakfast date. She'd gotten up and got ready. I looked at the clock. "Honey, it's still dark out." But Daddy, I fixed my hair for you. I picked this outfit out for you, and she looked so cute. And, and I knew where she wanted to go was open because it's open all the time. It's a Circle K. That's what she said that she wanted me to take her to. <laughs> She loved to go to Circle K. I said, oh, no, this will be great. I got got ready. And we drove over. We got there right about as the sun had just perked up over the edge, and and the light was coming on. And we went in, and she picked out a couple of donuts and and, and got some juice, and I got a cup of coffee, and I paid for everything. And then we went out, and we sat down on a curb on the side of the Circle K to have our day. We're sitting here in a curb. There's a dumpster over here. But we're over here. We're fine. We're fine. Everything's nice and safe, and and we're just visiting. And and I'm letting her set the agenda because it's her date. And she wanted to talk about the Sleeping Beauty movie we'd gotten for her, the Disney film. And she'd been watching it over and over again. And she's just yapping away about Sleeping Beauty. And I'm listening, and I said, honey, what's your favorite part of that movie? Dad, I love the part at the end when the handsome prince and Sleeping Beauty dance together in a castle. And I thought, well, that's my favorite part, too, because I'd watched the show with her. And I don't know what provoked me to do this, but I decided to reenact it. And I put everything back in the bags, lids on everything, and I picked Shiloh up right there. And I just started singing a song and waltz. I know you. I'll waltz with you once upon a dream. We are just coming around. And so we came around. There was a little field right behind the circuit and some brand-new homes over there. And I'm coming around, and I'm looking, and there was a guy in his breakfast table, and he's looking at me. He's just staring at me. <laughs> and I thought, he's over there. He's stirring his coffee, calling his wife, saying, quick, quick, come here, look. There's an idiot. Over to Circle K, dancing with a little girl next to a dumpster. <laughs> but another thought crossed my mind. That in a very brief period of time, some young man was going to come along and tap me on the shoulder. I said, Mr. Kimmel, may I cut in? And dance that girl out of my life for good. Turned out his name was Ian. <laughs> a great, great guy. But he showed up so much sooner than I thought it was all going to happen. <laughs> Listen, I, when it comes to parenting, the days are long, but the years are short. And we need to fill that time with grace. And whether it's with parents to kids, friends to friends, spouses to spouses. Let me pray for you, Lord. I think.